Turn in your Bible with me. Uh, we're going to look at Jeremiah 29 and Daniel chapter 1. But we are calling the sermon Don't Waste Your Exile Part 2 because last week we looked at just an introduction to the world of Daniel and we learned two wonderful things uh, from Jeremiah 24. One, that God hasn't forgotten you. Two, that you can pray in Babylon and he promises I will, I will make myself findable. You will know me. He will give the gift of himself. Daniel experienced that blessing. And then we also saw that it's better to be in Babylon because God says to Daniel and the exiles who are suffering, you're the good figs. You're the ones I'm going to enjoy, I'm going to delight in, I'm going to care for and preserve. I have my eyes on you for good. And today we're going to get from Jeremiah 29 uh, the marching orders, so to speak, of how then shall we live around our neighbors who don't think like us, believe like us, they don't know the true living God. How then shall we live, even if they're against me? And so let's let's read this. This is a great passage. I'm going to read Daniel 1 and then Jeremiah 29. Hear God's word. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank, and they were being educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they would stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. And then I'm going to flip over to Jeremiah. This is how they should live. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah, the prophet, sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah. Jeconiah, and the, and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, the king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. <laughs> Lots of fun names. And this is what the letter said. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. 
Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners <coughs> who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This is God's word. It is true and trustworthy and spoken to us today in love. Let's pray. Father God, you have sovereignly put us here at Hope Church together and promised to do good to us through Jesus. And so I pray in these next moments, we would hear your voice. That as you send us out into the world, we would say, here am I, send me. And then as we respond, teach us to say like Jesus, not my will, but your will be done. So send your spirit so that we might not be ashamed of the gospel as it is the power of God for salvation for any who believe in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I'm going to start this way. There are two things that will bring this passage to life for you. And, and just, just want you to see it within the logic of the Bible. This is a letter written to a historical people, but it's also extremely relevant to us today. Right? So first, Christians are called exiles in the New Testament. That's why we read 1 Peter. Right? Just like Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And so we, we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom living in exile in this particular country, this place where God has put us, right? So when exile is not just a, a historical category, it's, it's also a way to just think about your life as a Christian. I belong to God and because he matters most. I'm going to feel like a stranger here. And second, <coughs> right, Babylon, it's a historical place. But as you read the whole Bible and, and get familiar with the territory, Babylon becomes a metaphor or a shorthand to describe any culture or any place that is ruled and controlled by the Babylonian values. It's a way of describing the world that exists for itself. Right? It's, it's a metaphor for a place where everyone lives to make much of themselves. Right? It is, I was really helped by Augustine. I've talked about this before, where he describes the Bible being a tale of two cities, the city of God and the city of man. And so if we're citizens of the city of God, the goal is to be a place where everyone who's in it is there to serve someone else as God served us. 
in the city of man, in Babylon, right? Everyone lives by the mantra, you exist to serve me, to make me great. So I say all that, it's not a stretch for us to say, as Christians, I am in exile, living in Babylon, waiting for God's promised future, even though that's a metaphor because we're here in Boston Spa, right? It's, it's giving you a story to understand what God is up to. So, therefore, these are not just marching orders for Daniel and his friends. They're, they're instructions for us as well. And so let's jump in here. How do we live in our community when we're surrounded by neighbors who don't know Jesus, don't care, or at worst, are even hostile to his ways. And, and if you're not a Christian and you're here tuning in, we're glad you're here. We're talking about the mission of the church, but it's also describing the kind of person Jesus is going to form us into, including you, if you would follow him. So in this text, we're going to see four things. One, we're planted here on purpose. We're planted here for a purpose, which means we have to compare fight against competing purposes, and then lastly, we'll see how we flourish. So let's look first, the, the reality that we're planted here on purpose, All right? And you see this in Daniel chapter one, the first couple of verses, and all the way through this letter. Just remember, Babylon is the world power in Daniel's day. They were terrifying. They're described later in the book as a fierce lion with eagle's wings, meaning they, they attack, they're fierce, they're merciless, and they're speedy. They've come on eagle's wings. They're terrifying, cruel, and swift. And that's what happened to Daniel and his friends. They've been dragged away by Nebuchadnezzar to serve their enemies. And now they're stuck in Babylon. Now they're stuck, surrounded by neighbors they didn't sign up for. Right? And so Babylon is this place that's confusing, uh, causes a lot of complaining, because right? you don't like the school system I'm now in. I don't like the weather. It's hot. I don't understand the language. My neighbors don't see the world the way I do. They cheer for the wrong. They mock the good. And in exile, as we talked about last time, God feels far away. And what's going to help us just get, our, get oriented as Christians? What clears away the fog of confusion and complaining? It's God's voice when he comes here in these texts and says, I've planted you here on purpose. Hi, God, put you in this place. Right, so on one hand, sure, you got the history. Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian politics have dragged you here, but the, the message over and over again in Daniel and Jeremiah says, I, the Lord, carried you here. That's verse 4 of Jeremiah 29. I sent you into exile. Verse 14, I drove you there, and I'm going to return you back to Jerusalem from the place that I sent you. Right? This is the theological perspective of history. Daniel 1, God gave the king of Judah into Nebuchadnezzar's hands. Same idea. And this is really important. This is what I hope you get out of this. Daniel is not in Babylon by accident. He's not suffering under blind luck. Jeremiah and Daniel are making the same claim. The sovereign Lord of Israel is also the Lord of history, ruling over kings and kingdoms. 
You're planted here on purpose. What difference does that make? And I would, I mean, absolutely everything. Because <laughs> your view of history, your view of God, what he is up to right now, has everything to do with how you process what is happening to you right now. You really got to process this. You've been planted here. Right, Jeremiah chapter one, Jeremiah is identified as someone who's going to be a gardening prophet or he's going to use gardening language. Right, the, the God, what he does is he plucks people up and then transplants them, puts them back in the ground in order to build them up. All right, so God, the master gardener, uprooted Daniel and the exiles from their comfort in Jerusalem and then planted them in the ground in Babylon to grow, to flourish, uh, to bear fruit, not for themselves, but for their Babylonian neighbors. It's amazing. Do you see history this way? Right? I mean, there's, there's a non-Christian way to look at history. It's called uh, nihilism. It says there's no purpose, there's no goal to history, there's no meaning, there's no happy ending, right? There's no fairy tale ending and they lived happily ever after. Because there's no ending, there's no morals for right now, just don't hurt people. But really there's no God, which means there's no plan and no purpose. It's just you and the facts, right? That's Dragnet, just the facts, man. Which means you're a passive victim to whatever's happened to you. And it's up to you to make your miserable life meaningful. <laughs> Just pretty comfortless counsel. What we're being confronted with is that the hope, this is a hope, this is good news, that God is involved in history, not just of nations, but also individuals like Daniel and his friends. God is at work in the lives of you, me, our presidents, prime ministers, right? The, the important in the eyes of the world and those who are seemingly overlooked. God is involved in it all. Right. Which means, this is what one pastor says in Jeremiah's letter, when God says the exile is not an accident or a disastrous obstruction of God's purposes, it's saying he sent them into this place where nobody believes like them. And this now is their mission, even though it's also a judgment due to their sin. God's plan was to bless both the pagans and the believers through Israel's exile. Right. So, with all that together, what's that mean? God planted you and I here at Hope Church in Boston Spa in Saratoga County for such a time as this by the God who is sovereign over our president, the God who's sovereign over the, the governor, uh, the God who's sovereign over you and me. Right? So, we're planted here on purpose. What is his purpose? That's point two. We're planted here for a purpose. And this is what's so amazing. And I, I've been wrestling with this. And I, and I hope it really does become like a, a controlling lens on how you see the world through God's eyes. It's astounding. It says in verse 20, chapter 29 of Jeremiah, verse 5, God's purpose is to build houses, get married, multiply, and here's the, the heart of it. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you and pray to the Lord on his behalf. 
For in its welfare, there you will find your welfare. Right? So a couple of clues to understand this a little more. Welfare is the Hebrew word for shalom. Right? Peace. But it's, it's bigger than just peace of the absence of yelling and screaming and fighting. It's, it's universal flourishing. It's life as it ought to be. Shalom is peace with God. It's the lion laying down with the lamb, right? People, people and nations get along, <laughs> but it's also a place of economic flourishing. Uh, the poor aren't hungry. I mean, it's a place of emotional health. You're not afraid because you're not harassed. It's life as it ought to be. So there's a lot of nuances to this, but but the idea is God carried Daniel and his friends, this, this community, for Babylon, for their flourishing, for their welfare. God says, I planted you here to love and serve your conquerors, to give them God's peace. Whew. Do you hear that? I mean, if you're Daniel serve Babylon, the fierce and frightening lion-like kingdom who ruined my life. God says, yeah, serve Babylon, serve the people, your neighbors that I planted you in the midst of. I, God, planted you here to flourish, to multiply, to serve, to love, to pray for, to work for Babylon, to become a, a community that does, that grows. So, right, it's a, you're a growing good for your neighbors. So one way to think about it, grow your family. That's what he's saying. Just move in. Get ready. Settle in. That you and your children can work together. May your children know that they're on mission as well. Sent by God to pray for and love even those you strongly disagree with. This is a hard command. Maybe this will help help you understand it a little better. It's simple enough that children can understand. I, I talked about this a bit in, in chapel with the Spa Christian students. Right? Daniel is described and his friends as as youths without blemish in verse four of chapter one. Right? On the one hand, it means they look good. Right? They look royal. Like yeah, they they would fit in well in a Babylonian court. Um, but on the other side of this word, it's the same word to use to describe the sacrificial lambs, the sacrificial animals used in Leviticus, right? So picture it this way, Daniel and his friends are sent as sheep without blemish, sent to live on mission for the good of the lions of Babylon, right? As sheep who know other sheep have been devoured by these same lions, love them, serve them, work for their good. You want them to thrive because as they thrive, you will thrive. That, that's God's purpose. That's what Daniel really had to wrestle with. Right? To work and pray for the shalom of this place, the peace of this place. Your neighbors who do not know this God or care about the kingdom or care about the values of the kingdom. That sound relevant for today in this divided age? It's reaching across the aisle and say, I love you. I want the best for you. I don't agree with you, but I'm still going to be for you. Right? That's, that's part of what this is getting at. What I love about this is, one, Daniel is in power, 
He's going to be given more and more power and influence. But to fill, fulfill the commands of Jeremiah, you don't have to be in power to do this. It's just saying be a faithful presence in your community. Spend your lifetime pouring yourself out for your neighborhood. Right? Grow your family. As cultures get more secular, they have less kids. So even just the idea of having lots of children because children are a blessing from the Lord, uh, that, that in of itself is going to be a witness that we have different values. Um, right? Say move in, grow your family, shop at their stores, eat their vegetables. Um, right? You don't have to boycott everything that's Babylonian. Move in, get to know them. Right? So for us today, the way I, I think about this, and, and I hope this will help, is just whatever job you work, whatever neighborhood you live in, Look around and recite God's purposes for your life to yourself. God planted me here to love and pray for and serve these people. It's a good place to start. I have no idea how to do this. Well, just start praying for your coworkers. Start praying for your neighbors. Right. Multiply. Right, we already talked about this. Big families. What about Daniel. Right. You never hear about Daniel's family. Uh, and it, there are passages that, that also make it possible that Daniel was a eunuch. We don't really know. It's not clear. But as a single man in the, in the tradition of Jesus, who was a single man who was fruitful, and Paul, who was fruitful, right? you don't have to naturally just have kids to be fruitful. Right? It's also making disciples, teaching others about God's kingdom and and. and being a part of this community that's living for the good of our neighbors. Right? Commitment to God's kingdom can be done while single or married. So we're planted here on purpose. We're planted here for a purpose, and that's to work for the shalom, to, to be a faithful presence in our community. It's hard to know because I'm staring at a couple faces online, but I'm, I'm hoping you can hear this. This is this is Old Testament background saying, "Love your enemies." Right? Jesus didn't come up with this as something new. It, it's right there in the old. Right? And I'm, I'm hoping this will help help you better understand the story of the Bible. One of the overarching themes is that God picks a particular people. He blesses them. He chooses to do good to them, to enjoy them, to accept them, to delight them in them, to forgive them, to be his treasured possession. Why? So that we might represent him and be a blessing to the nations. Right? It's right here in Daniel 1. It's kind of layering Bible stories, right? Babylon is called the land of Shinar. That is the place where the Tower of Babel was built and abandoned, right? And then, so you picture Babylon as, as the culture of Babel all grown up, the city where everyone's trying, obsessed with making themselves great, obsessed with reputation, money, comfort, wealth, whatever that may be at the cost of others. That's Shinar, that's Babel, Babylon. But then you see Daniel, just like Abraham of old, Listen to the promises given to Abram. Right? He says, I will bless you. I will make your name great. 
And through you and your offspring, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Get the idea? Abram, blessed to be a blessing. Israel, rescued from slavery, forgiven, blessed to be a blessing. And it's the same here in Babylon. Daniel, I'm going to do good to you so that you might work for the shalom of others. And that would be just as true for us as Christians. We're loved in order to love. We we're forgiven. We forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We're forgiven to forgive. We're not a people who hoard what God has given us because he's planted us here for a purpose. Now, even as I say these things, you probably have objections or questions. And this, you can recognize this is not easy, right? Because we've got to fight against competing purposes. And there's two main temptations or competing purposes, whatever you want to call them. Right, as you start saying, okay, I want to serve my neighbors, um, this is hard. Right? Daniel and his friends were facing some really hard temptations. Competing purpose number one Babylon has an agenda for their life, and it's not God's agenda. <coughs> Excuse me. Right? And you can see it all the way through the text. Babylon saying, you're going to learn our language. You're going to learn our literature, our philosophy, the way we think. You're going to learn our culture of stories. You're going to learn our gods. We're going to change your name. In fact, forget that you're associated with Yahweh, the Lord. You're now associated with Babylon, Babylonian gods. Right? That's, that's what the whole name change is about. Right? Uh, Daniel, my God is judge. Belteshazzar is, is talking about uh, loyalty to the king. Um, Hananiah, God is gracious. And then, then you get it, this name that has to do with Abednego, the servant of, of, of Nego. It's in the name of a Babylonian god. So the whole point is there, Babylon has a plan. I want you to think like us, to live like us, to forget your allegiance to God and his kingdom. Right. So not only do they put that pressure on, but they also bribe them with the good life, which is the best, you know, what the king eats. The king eats good. He's got the best food, the best wine. They're getting the high life. They're probably getting pleasures they didn't enjoy before. Babylon isn't that bad, right? That's the temptation, because look at how comfortable you are, right? America can't be Babylon. Look at how comfortable we are. We're blessed, right? That's a whole nother conversation. So you can see the pressure. There's pressure to be assimilated, to be just drawn into the culture where the culture informs what how you think more than the scriptures. And as uh, Sinclair Ferguson says, you know, high living, comfort, wealth, it makes it really hard for young Christians to stay committed to Christ. It's distracting. Right? So when you go out into the culture and say, I'm going to be a Christian, you're going to face peer pressure to think like them, to believe some of the same things, to change your morality. You're going to have pressure to keep your faith private. You're going to have pressure to say, well, just enjoy life, right? Get seduced away from sacrificial living and, and say, I deserve this. I'm, I need to be comfortable. And as modern Christians, it's not too hard to imagine what that's like. Because as soon as you go in a public space and say, I'm a Bible-believing Christian, that invites suspicion and maybe even assumption of being immoral when it comes to sex 
morality, the good life. So here's the point. Daniel and his friends are called to do good, just like us. We're called to do good for our neighbors, but it's really hard to do good for our neighbors. If there's no difference in our belief and practice, then there's. So it's a good, good question for you and I. Are you willing to let the Bible stand in critique over all cultures, including ours and us, or do we submit to the cultural pressures to stand in judgment of the Bible? Right. God is a God of all nations. That's right there in the beginning. So you would expect God's word and God's ways to critique different cultures in different ways. And the point is, is if we're going to be the salt of the earth, if we're going to be a growing good for our neighbors, there's going to be ways where we're going to have to stick out like a sore thumb much like Daniel and his friends will as we get into this story. And we'll talk about that next week. So how do you fight? How do you fight those pressures, the, the, the peer pressure to fit in? Well, you get got to do two things, right? Be, be comfortable learning the stories of your neighbors and the way they think. Don't be surprised when our neighbors don't know the scriptures or think differently. I mean, part of what Daniel and his friends did is they submitted themselves and didn't seemingly object to going through this re-education camp. And it says, God gave them understanding and learning and all literature and wisdom. Daniel and his friends had the ability to just understand their neighbors. It's not a bad thing to understand the stories and philosophies and logic and, and hopes and dreams of our neighbors. That's a good thing. But the challenge then is saying, let me be more impacted by God's will and God's ways. As Romans 12 puts it, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that you may discern what is God's will, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Which means you got to have two education things going on at the same time. Willing to learn, willing to listen to our neighbors, and also being formed and shaped by God's word. At the same time, getting to know the Jesus life. Starting the Sermon on the Mount if you don't know where to start. It's God's wisdom. Right? So first pressure, that's hard. You got to be willing to take some shots if you're going to say, I'm going to stand on what the Bible says is true. Which leads to the second temptation. Now, I was trying to figure out what to call it. I came up with self-preservation. Right? If Babylon is putting pressure on us to, to become like them, to, to become just to think like our neighbors, to change our ways of thinking, uh, we also have that pressure to just run away to where it's safe, to not engage our community. It's the temptation to withdraw, to hide, to escape the evils of Babylon because the bad people are out there. Nope. And we're a community that knows what's right. And Jeremiah 28, which we didn't read, makes it clear these ideas were out there. There were false prophets running around saying, I had a dream. God's going to show up. He's going to break the yoke, right? The same that goes on your neck in two years, and you're all going to go home, and it's going to be amazing. And if that is what 
being taught and being told, you know what that feeds? It's not going to motivate you to love your enemies. It's actually going to cultivate anger and rebellion. Because if you expect God to get rid of Nebuchadnezzar, the powers that be, you're not going to be thinking about how can I do good to them. You're going to say, when's God going to show up and smoke smoke their bacon? You're going to be living and working and, and running in. You're going to be living a rabbit hole life, right? You're going to go out, get what you need, and run back to the safe spot. Nursing your anger and distrust. Right? So just a warning, some hard questions coming your way. Right? Do you trust that God's in charge? That he's working through these moments for your good? And if so, do you trust his purposes, that you are planted here for a purpose to do good to your neighbors? And if that's true, how much time and energy do we spend, I'm going to include myself here, complaining when our culture that is Babylonian-like, doing Babylonian things, being angry that our tribe is not in power? The easy thing for us to do, that's why I'm saying this is, this is tough. Self-preservation makes me want to complain and constantly criticize. And it's, we're not above critiquing. Critiquing is good. The hard thing is to engage those who disagree with us, to build relationships, to be able to talk about these things. So we're always, when you go out and say, I want to do good to my neighbors and start hanging out with people who think differently as non-Christians, these are temptations to either run away because we're scared of the damage they're going to do to our faith, or we run all the way in and all of a sudden we don't look any different than the surrounding culture. Right? But if you do this, if you commit, and this is what my prayer for our church, uh, to move into the neighborhood through relationships, through work, to do work for the shalom of our neighbors, you're going to be too liberal for your conservative friends because you're going to be okay working for Nebuchadnezzar, so to speak, right? I mean, how do you think other Israelites looked at Daniel? He was working for the enemy working for their good. But if you also do this, you're going to be too conservative for your liberal friends because you're not going to be willing to compromise on what God says is true just because the culture puts that pressure on you. You're going to have an outside way, philosophy, an outside way of thinking. You're going to want to say, I want to live the Jesus life. Jesus loved me. How can I, how can I turn my back on the one who gave himself up for me? This would be betrayal to him. So, conclusion. (laughs) There's a lot floating around in your head, but what we said is God planted us here on purpose. You're sent on mission. He's planted you here for a purpose, which is to serve our neighbors, to be a witness to him and his kingdom. Uh, And we got to push back against the pressures to, to assimilate or to run away. Right? And how do you do that, right? Because if you're willing to stick your your neck out for Jesus, you're going to get, right? It's that old game whack-a-mole. You're going to get smacked if if somebody disagrees with you, right? Self-preservation is, and this is how I live my every day. What's this going to do for me? And I think this is why 
Jeremiah 29 ends with this. When God says, I will fulfill to you my promise, I will bring you back to this place. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for shalom, welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. See, if you're going to take all the good things God's given you and spend them for someone else, you have to have a hope that you're going to get it back somehow. Right? The reason Daniel and his friends could pour out their lives in prayer and service of their enemies is right there in God's promise. One day, this suffering will end. Your exile will come to an end. You'll come home. God's plan is for your peace, so trust him. So spend your whole life pouring yourself out for the good of the community that you're planted in. But one day, God will bring you home. And for us as Christians, we have a better hope than just going back to an earthly kingdom, right? Our hope is eternal. It's this new heavens and new earth that the Bible constantly speaks about. The city where Jesus rules and reigns as the Prince of Peace over the nations, right? I mean, just listen to Jesus' words. I want you to hear his voice. This is Matthew 19, verse 28, where Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, in the new world, in the new creation, when the Son of Man is sitting on his throne, everyone who has lost, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands, who's lost for my name's sake, you're going to receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. Many who are first will be last and the last first. Do you hear that? If you sacrifice now for Jesus' sake to serve our neighbors, even when it costs you, the promise is when, when Jesus returns, you're going to get more back. I don't even know what all that means other than it's probably better than we can imagine. Right? So trust God's authority. <laughs> Look at Jesus. This is where you get the power from. From the hope that we're given at the cross. I mean, even Jesus, when he had to submit under unjust, evil authority, you see how he interacted with Pilate in John 19? Someone who's caused great harm to his fellow Jewish lives. Pilate's frustrated, Jesus is silent, and Pilate says to Jesus, you'll not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus says, hey, guess what? Your authority is received. You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Put all this together. Friends, it was God's will for our good that Jesus would suffer under the authority of Babylon. In order to come, as he came down into exile and experienced the horrors of being rejected by his own people, being rejected by the nations, to be put to death on a cross, that was all done because Jesus was planted here on earth on purpose, in exile, to love his enemies, to give his loved ones a future and a hope. Right, as we read this morning in Peter, it's a future that God himself is guarding, that is unshakable, (laughs) 
uh, unfading, undefiled, and imperishable. It can't be taken away. Right. So you want to know how to do this, where you get the strength to love and, and to keep going and to see your neighbors as someone to serve rather than to despise or run away? Look at the Prince of Peace, Jesus himself, the Lamb of God, taking away the sin of the world, dying for us while we were still beastly like lions. When he was raised from the dead, that unshakable hope was bought and paid for, which set you free to pour yourself out today, tomorrow, for this great future that's better than we can imagine. And you know what? You can't do it alone. This letter in Jeremiah, uh, this is why you need the church. Right? It's not written to just Daniel and his friends. It's written to a whole community, people working and living and working this out in different parts of the city. And so this, this is the mission that we're going to work on in the coming years together is the gospel sets us free to work for the good of our community. And so that means we need the freedom to say how, well, just the freedom to, to call us out when we're falling into these temptations to withdraw or to assimilate. And then together, pray for our town, pray for our county, pray for our state as we ask for God's wisdom on how to serve and befriend others. It's a beautiful vision. It seems like Daniel got the message because he went to work serving Nebuchadnezzar. And I pray for us that we too would see the gospel, see Jesus and learn, um, learn to love as we've been loved, even love our enemies. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this place that you have planted us. We thank you for the purpose that you have given us to make disciples of all nations, uh, to work for the shalom of, of Boston Spa and this county. And so we, we do. We ask that you would bless this place. It would be a great place for everyone to live and that we would continue to have the freedom to love Jesus, to receive his good news and make him known across the street and around the world. And so give us wisdom to know how to do this in Jesus' name. Amen.